This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Schumper. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome in to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan Shumpert. We're coming at you on a pretty beautiful Tuesday afternoon in Knoxville. It's about mid-60s outside, my kind of weather, um, here in late April. And, Ryan, we're going to be talking Tennessee baseball again, as we always do, on the special edition. And it's definitely going to be a little bit of a different discussion this week. Yeah, no we're, kidding. We're coming off a sweep, but it's a different kind of sweep. As Tennessee baseball swept Vanderbilt this past weekend, not getting swept this time around. So, um, yeah, Tennessee baseball, we talked last week. Let's go ahead and jump in here. We talked last week about, you know, Tennessee's season just on the verge of basically being over almost. Like, there's no hope. Panic button, smash it. But now they're 8-10 and 10 in the SEC. They just swept a top-five team in Vanderbilt, the in-state rival, and now things are looking up. Well, they kind of got to that. I go back to what we – on our – the podcast before uh, this four-week stretch where they played four straight top-five teams, and we said that – or at least I said that, you know, I thought if they go five and seven in those four weeks, they'll end up in a pretty good spot. And they got there. They just got there the most roundabout way exactly. uh, imaginable, winning three uh, of those five games in the final weekend against the Vanderbilt team that entered the weekend 13 and two in SEC plays. So, the best record in the SEC. Yeah, best record in the SEC. They had a little bit, you know, softer schedule to start the season, but they had, they were coming off a good, oppressive series win over. South Carolina, who swept Florida uh, this past weekend, so and may may very well be the best team in the country. I don't know, but you know, yeah, one, one of one of they're very good as well. So uh, incredibly impressive. Uh, I mean, I think it, they played like we knew they were capable of, and the defensive issues weren't completely non-existent. But it, it is kind of funny that it was like the defense was just clean and the hitting provided you know a few clutch at bats. But besides that, it was like it wasn't. Anything just like radical, radically different from the I don't this know, team. man. I think 17 runs on Saturday, run ruling Vanderbilt, that's a little bit different. Yeah. Like, that, we have no, not seen true. anything in that stratosphere unless it's a series finale. That doesn't really matter. Yeah. I would completely disagree with the notion that those series finales matter. I mean, don't they matter, don't. Yes. Oh, I, I, okay. Yes, they do but matter. But not for the series. Exactly. Your point. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. That, that was, that was pretty radically different. And, and, but really, that's what it was, is it was the clutch hitting in, in those games and the two out hitting. They got nine runs, all with two outs in, in the first inning of that game. I guess I say all that to say that the pitching was you know, largely what it's been, which is good. Mm-hmm. But when you play good defense around it and you get more complete offensive outings, then you find a way to win some games. And heck, they won the first game in the series with not a complete offensive outing at all. No, that's what I was saying. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. For eight and a half innings, it looked like the same old Tennessee baseball, same old 2023 Tennessee baseball, that is, where they had two hits going into the ninth inning, and one of them was Zane Denton's solo home run. I, th- I believe Blake Burke maybe yeah. had a single, but it was two I think hits. That's right. They couldn't get anything going, and great pitching from Andrew Lindsay and um, Camden Sewell was going to go to waste, it seemed like, but. Then Kavar's Tears leads off the bottom of the ninth with a solo home run. You're like, okay. And then two quick outs. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, never mind. Yeah. You know, three to two. And then Dylan Dryling falls down 0-2, I believe, then comes yep. back into the count and golfs out a homer to to right field to um, take it into extras. And then, you know, Tennessee won the game thanks to an elite Chase Burns relief outing there and three innings in extras. And, of course, Griffin Merritt's walk-off homer in the 12th. It's funny that they won that they won that game with four solo homers and yeah. they didn't have single hit with runners on base and it's 
I can't remember hardly ever seeing that when you win a game only hitting solo homers. But it's particularly funny because, you know, that's a big Frank Anderson saying in the pitching staff is they're not going to beat us with solo homers. Well, we'll let them hit solo homers. They're not going to beat us with solo homers. Well, Tennessee beat Vanderbilt <laughs> yeah. with solo homers. It went the other way. And uh, you're right, and it was – I think maybe who hit those home runs down the stretch is particularly interesting because Tears and Dryling are two guys that you look at of, okay, if this team – this lineup is going to get a lot better – how is that going to happen? And I think those are two of the guys that are more consistently in the lineup and give you consistent production because they're young. We know they're talented. And with any young, talented player that's not a star, it's about consistency. And then Griffin Merritt's obviously a guy we talked about uh, really a lot, I guess it would have been two weeks ago, really over the course of the season, uh, of a right-handed bat that Tennessee needs to step up. So uh, that was particularly interesting. And uh, obviously all those – they don't win without – getting every single one of those three solo homers that they got two in the ninth and then one in the twelfth. But to me, even with all that, the story of Friday night's game or at least the later innings of Friday night's game was just how dominant Chase Burns was. Oh, 100%. He was the MVP of the game. Yeah. I mean, he was. He shut down Vanderbilt there. Three innings pitched, only allowed one hit that in that Vanderbilt batter didn't even become a base runner because Griffin Merrick gunned yeah, him down fantastic to get him out of second. Play. Yeah. One of the probably the best defensive play of the night for Tennessee. And then, you know, he struck out seven of nine total batters. So just an elite performance for Chase Burns. That was the biggest reason why he won SEC Pitcher of the Week yesterday. You can read more about that on RockyTopInsider.com. But yeah, Ryan, Tennessee fought in this Friday night game. And yeah. we, ne- you know, they, uh, they, tip- they always fight late, I guess. But, you know, Tony Vitello talked about he's worried about toughness. I don't think there was any doubt that this team was fighting and this team was tough on Friday night. And it evidently turned a corner for Tennessee as they went on to dominate the Commodores next two days. And even like earlier in the game when Tennessee was not having offensive success, I mean, you just said it. They had two hits going into the ninth inning. It felt like, to me at least, the bats were more competitive. Vanderbilt had Carter Holton on the mound, who was a really good left-handed arm, and it just felt like, all right, he's better than what Tennessee has. But it didn't feel like... Man, these are just, what's Tennessee doing? Like that Friday game against Florida, I guess it yes. would have been the Thursday game against Florida. The, the series opener, we were like, this team is just not mentally there. We're ready to play for this weekend. I didn't even get that vibe. And then you, when they were struggling, and then you mentioned it, the, they get the, the big hits late, and especially the drawing one to me is big because even after, I mean, you kind of said it, after the tears home run, it was like the next two guys kind of did have uncompetitive at bats. Yes. It's like okay, well they're not. They're not. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like never that. mind. Yeah, yeah, they're not even going to. Zane it. and Maui each struck out swinging on four pitches. Yeah, so quickly down in the count, quickly striking out. So uh, that was the fight that we haven't seen, and that's kind of the funny thing about baseball is that you know you talk about fight and it's like playing hard, gripping that bat harder. That's not going to do you any good. It's about competitive composure more than anything and Dylan Dreiling I think has that just in bunches especially for a freshman yeah it's it's you know Tony Vitello has talked about his maturity all the way up into the season but it, it showed again on Friday night in the biggest way possible and Dylan Dreiling has been so good in pinch hit situations I know you had the stat Friday I believe 7 of 10 now yeah pinch 7 hit of 11 now 7, 7 of 10 after Friday night then he had a pinch hit where he didn't get on later in the weekend and you were talking about tears and Dreiling and it's hard to start both of those guys against left-handed pitchers as yeah. we saw Friday Dylan Dreiling didn't start came in pinch hit hit the home run but these are two bats specifically Dreiling that you know go into what you said earlier that probably will need to be in Tennessee's lineup more so than not if a right-hander's on the mound is what I'm saying you got to have him in yeah, I would say so. I think the only thing that they like with Dryling and I get is it feels like most games, and now they hope this changes, and it did change a little bit over the weekend, 
but most SEC games does not feel like sixth inning, seventh thing. They're already pinch hitting for somebody. Somebody oh, yeah. gets two at bats, and then it's like, well, they're not here all tonight. We got to pinch yes. it for them. Yeah. I think they like having Dryling and to have him off the bench just because then that gives you an elite pinch hit- hitter to have in, and they use him every game. It's not like last year where you know they would occasionally use a pinch hitter, but it was you know it wasn't often. So they do they like to do that, but. I, so I understand that part of it, but I'm with you. If you got a righty uh, on the mound, you just it feels like you have to have both those guys in the lineup. And I know it's harder now that Jared Dickey's more consistently out in left field and Cal Stark is behind the plate. Which is a very interesting development over the last two weeks that I didn't really see coming. Yeah, I didn't really either. And it's not like I guess Cal the Stark, pitchers feel more comfortable with it or something. Yeah, I think that, would, that it's got to be a defensive thing because it's yeah. not like Cal Stark's bat's been great in, in there. And Dickey, that – End of that Florida series, I guess it would have been. He he had some struggles behind the plate that weekend. And nothing just massive, but he it wasn't great for, great for him that weekend. So I'm still surprised by it. But you're right. I, it's I think easy to point to the defense is the reason they make that change. And with Jared Dickey primarily playing in the outfield now, you, know, you still got Hunter Hunter Insley is the most probably has the most definitive hold on any outfield spot of anybody at center field. And then you got Christian Scott or Kavaris Tears in right field. Dylan Dryling going to be the DH most likely in a righty, you know, throwing for the opposite side. And then Griffin Merritt, he works in this maybe kind of like Dylan Dryling as a pinch hitter as well because he's delivered in some big moments as yeah, a pinch hitter this season more so than if he's just starting. No, he has. And I guess that's – I got off topic there. But that's, that's the thing that I think becomes harder about figuring out the lineup is – if Jared Dickey is in the outfield and left field, they seem to have such trust and such comfort would probably be the better word with mm. Christian Scott out there. Yeah. Like his bat's not the best, but he just does the winning things right. He's really good defensively. And I think they just like having him out there. And it hasn't been a complete everyday starter, but it's been pretty close. More times than not. I would More say times, at least seventy five percent. Yeah, at least seventy five percent. So then you kinda look around, well, if Dickey's not catching that's kind of your outfield, and then you have one DH spot for one of those two guys, and I think that's well, where it's to three really tears drilling a merit. If Dickie, yes, yeah. yes, but I'm kind of going with the mindset of if it's a righty, it's oh, okay. going to be one of the two lefties. If it's the lefty, it's going to be merit. Um, Understood. So that's kind of where it get, becomes a challenge to get drilling and tears in the lineup in the same day, but it just feels like you have to bite the bullet and. Not have Chris either have Jared Dickey behind the plate or not have Christian Scott out there and have both those guys in the lineup because against righties, I mean, those are two of Tennessee's best bats. Absolutely. And Christian Scott, by the way, his bat isn't a liability like it was early no. in the season or maybe even sometimes last year. He's actually not doing that bad this season and he's almost had a three run home run. Was it Sunday? So Sunday, Sunday, to left yeah. center, deepest uh-huh. part of the park, we're blowing in, in a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's had some really good at-bats, and uh, I believe his average is sitting around 250 on the season. So not even the worst in the normal starting lineup. I believe Cal Starks probably has the worst average. But anyway, I digress. Moving on with this series, Tennessee picks up that 4-3 to close win on Friday, and then they come out and, as you said, score nine runs in the first with two outs and dominate Vanderbilt 17-1 to in seven innings. Chase Dolander throws a complete game. Some people have – trouble with calling that a complete game but by the letter of the law it's a complete game and it's his first of his career so great outing from Chase Dolander and just Tennessee in general and this is when you really started to feel that Tennessee had probably turned a corner in their season that Friday night win was a make or break type game I know you've said it repeatedly in texts and just in person that they lost that game man I don't know it's hard to come back from that but they won that game and then they came back in a big way on Saturday and Sunday especially I think with how they won, you know, if if they had 
hit those two home runs in the ninth inning and then lost the game in 12, 13 innings. Like, I just think that would have been so crushing. Gutting, yeah. To have to turn around and then play again, whatever it was, 13, 14 hours later, first pitch of game two. So, you're right. I, it really felt like that just changed the season, and it changed the vibes. And like, you felt like you saw Tennessee have fun. Like, the dugout was fun, like, for mm-hmm. the first time, really, all year. Even A&M series, like, you didn't necessarily have that, and offense was good that weekend. So, uh, you're right, and the guy we just talked about, Christian Scott, he had the big hit that started uh, – I guess didn't start things off, but he had one of the big hits in the first couple innings of that game. And uh, you're right, again, all with two outs, it looked like it was just going to be a quiet first inning. First two guys go down, uh, and then a couple walks. You saw – like, this year it feels like when Tennessee's – Pitchers haven't had have had command issues. Other the top teams they've played have been great at jumping on them. Yeah. Now that's what happened to Vanderbilt, really on Sunday too, but especially on Saturday, command issues in Tennessee just took advantage of walks and tears again had to hit to start it off with the double uh, down the left field line, and then that just started a buzzsaw. <laughs> really, buzzsaw just about uh, Tennessee uh, three straight batters they scored on four out of five. Maui Ahuna hitting a three run homer that. Uh, Really felt like that was the one that truly broke it open uh, to eight to one, and That's Tennessee didn't look back from there. Third pitcher now they've gotten out of uh, that has left the game in the first inning. Was there a Texas A and M batter? Or Texas no, I think A&M it's pitcher? LSU Florida. And yeah, LSU on Sunday. That's right. LSU Florida in the Saturday game against Vanderbilt. Yeah, three times they've gotten a pitcher out in the first inning. Yeah, and <laughs> which is just funny because it just they've, the offense has been so lifeless in so many games. <laughs> it's almost like you can tell. In the first inning, whether whether they're going to have it or not, and they certainly had it on in game two. It feels that way for the hitting and the pitching because you know if Tennessee's going to have a good day at the plate, it feels like a lot of their success comes early, like we've seen. And then if the pitchers are going to struggle, they're going to struggle in the first inning. They don't struggle as time goes on. They're yeah. they're bad off the get. I would yes, that's a hundred percent true. But on the reverse, I we've seen enough of the pitchers that if they have like they give up a run in the first inning. But they don't have massive struggles. They can turn it around. Yeah, it's not like they're getting bounced. Yes. Like Vandy's uh-huh. do. But you're right. There hasn't been a whole lot of starts where it's like, all right, three good innings, and then the second time through the lineup, it's just craters. Yeah. Like, that hasn't happened at all. And I, I really – I said a minute ago that Tennessee didn't look back after that nine-run first inning, but that's not really completely accurate because Chase Dolander – look, it's an eight-run lead, so it was plenty – it was a big lead. It wasn't like they were about to lose it. But he walks two batters on four pitches and gives up a single in the second inning. And it's like, just like that, the bases are loaded with nobody out. And, again, it's not like Vanderbilt's about to tie the game up, but it's like Vanderbilt's pretty close to getting back in striking distance yes. at the very least. And really what changed the whole game, or at least well, maybe not the whole game, but changed Dolander's outing is he hits the batter, they go review it, and they take it off. They say he didn't hit him. And obviously that was huge. It takes the run off the board. But I think more important was just Dolander got to throw some practice pitches uh, during that stretch, and he came out much calmer. Or I don't even know if calmer is the right word, but he could find he found the strike zone after mm-hmm. the delay immediately, and he gets out of the jam. Doesn't even give up a single run when you really could have given up one or two, and then in fine shape. And from there he cruised, and uh, I think it would you know was definitely his best start of the season. Yeah, went on to strike out Vastine, who originally had gotten hit, but after review was overturned, and then struck out Enrique Bradfield, and then got Matthew Polk to pop up, who was Vandy's best hitter on Friday night. He had a really good night. Overall on the weekend, though, R.J. Shrek probably ended up being. Speaking of Enrique Bradfield, had two hits late on Sunday, but he was 0-12 for entering those two hits. I think he ended up 2-14. So Tennessee's pitching shut down Enrique Bradfield, and I want to – emphasize this part of Tennessee's weekend. Maui Yahuna 
was really clutch in not allowing Enrique Bradfield on base, specifically Sunday. Maui Ahuna had a defensive masterclass in that series finale. He did, and uh, I guess just starting with Bradfield, like I'm sure it's like this for every team, but especially with Tennessee and some of their catching issues or their inability to hold runners, it's like he gets on first, it just feels like he's on third. And <laughs> yeah. he's been starting for three years for Vanderbilt ever since he was a freshman. And it's just like what a headache it is every single time he comes up in the order and how much emphasis there is on that at bat. And really the two times he got hits, I know he drove in a run with one of them, but he was behind runners on the base pass, so you didn't even have to worry about that. Yeah. So that was, I think, huge for Tennessee's pitching on the weekend that they were able to shut him down uh, so well. Now, he still had a huge impact on the weekend because he was just so good defensively. Black center hole. Field. Yeah. Dude, I mean, everything gets caught back there. He was fantastic. I, I said at one point that, you know, if you had two Enrique Bradfields on your team, you should just play two outfielders and six guys in the infield because two Enri Enrique Bradfields at Lindsey Nelson Stadium can cover just about everything. Um, but you're right. The reason he didn't get on base a lot was kudos to Tennessee pitching, but also kudos to Maui Ahuna who made a couple plays that with a lot of guys are routine plays, but they are certainly not in routine plays with Enrique Bradfield uh, at the plate and how much pressure he puts on defense. And then he made a couple spectacular plays, a long-ranging throw. Uh, I want to say in Saturday's game, he made the nice over-the-shoulder catch in Friday's game out in left field. And that was the guy Tennessee was really all weekend. I was going to say defensively, but uh, really that was the guy Tennessee was expecting. And he was good, not great with his bat. And that's what we've said. You know, if he can be good, not great with his bat, that's fine if he's great defensively. And he was great defensively this weekend, really for the first time all season. Yeah, it looked like Kansas Maui. Yeah, and, he did. And you talk about his bat. I mean, this was one of the best weekends he's had all season. Five RBIs in Saturday's game. Well, you mentioned the three-run homer in the first inning. And then on Sunday, I believe he had a couple of hits as well. I'll bring it up. Yeah, he went one of three with two RBIs too. So Maui Ahuna looking. And two walks. Yeah, two walks too. Got on base twice and, you know, one of the best base runners for Tennessee. So. He's really starting to come into his own, I think, and you know it just makes it so much easier on Tennessee's pitching when you got when you have a guy like Maui behind you. It really is, and you know Tennessee's whole pitching staff is, or pitching philosophy is predicated on it's the same thing with the solo homers. We're going to throw the ball in the strike zone, and certainly the, they have some pitchers that are so talented they're going to strike out a lot of guys. But it's for the most part, it's they want to put the ball in, in yeah. let them put them in play, throw in strikes, let them put them in play, and let your defense work. And I think. Tony Vitello before the season wouldn't have been shocked to hear that there were some defensive issues. I think he would have been pretty surprised to hear that they were in the infield with anybody other than Blake Burke because they felt good about Christian Moore and certainly Maui Ahuna in the middle infield. And those guys being some of the biggest weaknesses defensively has just been a, a massive problem for Tennessee. Not all mistakes, not all errors are, are created equally. And uh, some of the ones they've had have just been so costly from those guys. And uh, Christian Moore obviously was suspended for Sunday's game, so he didn't play there, but he was also good defensively the first two games. And uh, it, Again, you just play good defense behind these pitchers. You're going to have good production uh, or on the mound, and you're not going to get bullets too many times because your pitching is just that good. Definitely a good weekend for Tennessee's defense. Probably the best weekend we've seen from Tennessee's defense, specifically their infield defense in SEC play. You mentioned the Christian Moore ejection. we got to talk about it. Late in the Saturday game, top of the seventh, everyone knew that was going to be the last inning as Tennessee was going to run rule Vanderbilt. Pinch hitter Troy Leneve gets on with a walk, and then um, the next bat, there was a lot of pinch hitters. I can't remember his first name, but McKenzie fouls out for out, or for out number one, and Leneve was going to second but then had to come back because Burke caught it. It was a hit and run, yeah. yeah so he right. was running. Because Burke caught it in foul territory well past the first base back, and 
Chase Dolan are standing there. As Lanive is coming back, he bumps, he aggressively bumps Chase Dolander off first base. Christian Moore takes exception, gets in his face. No physical contact was made, and they were separated fairly quickly. But still, Christian Moore <laughs> ends up being ejected after some further discussion from the umpires, and he was suspended for Sunday's game. But, of course, his suspension is over, and he will play tonight against Bellman. Yeah, so it's kind of mixed feelings on the play and the suspension as a whole. You know, I get you don't want a guy touching your pitcher. You're taking up for your pitcher. It's kind of like hockey. You don't let no one touch the goalkeeper. But there was nothing, you know, egregious about what the Vanderbilt base runner did. I mean, he kind of he got to bumped him a little bit. I think it was intentional though. I, I I don't think he was just running back. Like he he made a little too harsh of contact for that to just be seen as unintentional. I don't know. I didn't I didn't make anything of it. I didn't think that there was anything of it. Chase I mean, Dolander I, certainly didn't take exception. He walked away and I don't even think knew what was going on behind him afterwards. I, I, I don't think it was there was, you know, necessity for a brouhaha of that magnitude, but I don't know. I you know, it's just it, it did feel like he was definitely frustrated at the, in that moment. The the pinch, the, the Lenive guy. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, and that that probably is true, but it Again, it's like it's a 17-1 game. You're what I what it was it two outs away from the game being over. There's no need. There's no need for it from Christian Moore's standpoint. And this is a guy that is very high and low. You know, he's yeah a very emotional guy. So it wasn't surprising to see. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for him to do. You just don't want that to happen again in another moment in the postseason, essentially. And that was the thing that a one-game suspension for someone that's dealing with a foot injury. It's kind of like you know. It's probably not the worst thing in the world for him to just have a little bit of time to, to rest on his foot and make sure Tennessee was on edge to start game three because to have that, you know, obviously carry over. Now, at the same time, a lot of those things that I just said, they the umpires and both teams' coaches, I thought, did a good job from not letting it escalate. There were two outs until the game was over. I didn't really get why he got ejected. Like, it... Oh, I don't either. Like, I, 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 don't, thought, I thought it was squashed so quickly yes. and swiftly that I was like, okay, it's done. Yeah. And then they talked for 20, 30 seconds and then ejected him. Yes. So. And it was like, the, again, it's it's not like this happened in the third inning and it's like, okay, heated rivalry. We don't want this to get out of control. The, the game, game was, was five minutes from being over. Yeah. So it didn't feel like you had to do that to make sure things didn't get out of hand. And I think credit the umpires, credit both teams' coaching staffs for keeping it from getting out of hand. But, yeah, I didn't. It wasn't really necessary by Moore. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that what he did. Uh, but it, to me, it was puzzling that he got ejected. Well, despite some confusion on Twitter, more suspension was only one game, not anything longer than that. It's four for pitchers because, of course, if a Saturday starter gets ejected on a Saturday and he's only suspended one game, well, you don't lose anything because he wasn't thrown on Sunday anyway. That's why pitchers are suspended four games, whereas positional players, it is just one game, so Christian Moore will be back for Tennessee baseball, assuming so, tonight against Bellarmine. But if he does this again, is there going to be a lengthier penalty? Yeah, my understanding is that it's three three games. So if he gets ejected again, it's it's going to be big time news. Yes, that again and again, especially if it's at like a big moment in the season in yeah. the postseason, like a three game suspension. Is absolutely, I mean, that's what we're talking Which, about. With how Tennessee's played so far this season, every weekend's a big moment now. Like, yeah, that's true. I mean, the postseason basically started against Vanderbilt almost. Yeah, you, you, they gave themselves a little bit of leeway or a little bit of room for error, but they still need. I mean, every game, every weekend is still very important, and right. they need to be collecting wins if they're going to make the NCAA tournament still. Before we get to the schedule talk, we just got to talk a little big picture stuff about Tennessee here. 
you know, it looks like they have all the potential in the world to make the NCAA tournament now. We didn't really have that sentiment last week. And you talked about the energy and emotion. That's probably the biggest takeaway from this weekend. They bring the daddy hat back. They bring the fur coat back. You don't want to draw too many parallels to the 2022 team because they were historic and they should go down as their own enigma. But it had the feeling of that dominance in on Saturday and Sunday from Tennessee. So when I ask you the question, Ryan, is Tennessee baseball back? By back, I mean a team that could contend for Omaha. Not an Omaha lock because that is way too far of a stretch to go at this point, but a contender for Omaha who can give anybody trouble in the NCAA tournament. I would like to see them do it one more weekend. Okay. But I feel like they are. And that, it, from the way you defined it, as a team that could give anybody trouble. I think that's a fair trouble, definition of yeah, back. No, I think it is. Yeah. And by those standards, it's like, it's what I've said all year. Like if they get there, they get to the tournament, they're going to be that just because they have the talent and they have the pitching that's so important in the NCAA tournament. So from that standpoint, I, I guess I would say yes, they're, they're back because I think they're in a good spot to make the NCAA tournament, and I think they have all the talent in the world that if they do make the NCAA tournament, no one's going to want to see them. What Griffin Merritt said a few weeks ago, we're, you're not going to want to see Tennessee in the regional. That's true. Now the, the issue was could they play good enough to make it to the regional does this team is this team back with the confidence, with the swagger, with the consistency? And again, that doesn't even have to be compared to the 2022 team because that was just so mega and on a different term. But this team has been so juiceless yeah. for so much of the season. I need to see them do it again another weekend. Come ready, come prepared, and kind of bring that juice. And if they do that again against Mississippi State, it doesn't even mean they have to sweep them. They could win two out of three and just play well and play with energy. Then I would say, yeah, this is the team that we thought they could be. Yeah, and I, I, Tennessee baseball probably got so many more fans last year because of how dominant and historic and fun they were. But when you talk about this energy and emotion, this has been a theme in the yeah. Tony Vitello era. So it's not necessarily their back as in, hey, it's a – they're getting. They're kind of like last year's team. No, they are a Tennessee baseball team because that is the type of program Tennessee is now. That they have these characteristics under Vitello. Yeah, hundred percent. And you, it's just I think that was a great point by you because it's so easy to get wrapped up in all of it and just think that that was last year and yeah. that that was just last year's team. And last year's team did it at such a high bar that <laughs> nobody's really going to match it. <laughs> Not many, just all the, all the incidents that you had right. of Tennessee going right at the other team and being very over the top, very exciting. They weren't to that degree in 2021 and 2020 and 2019, but they played with a lot of fire and they had a lot of confidence and they took the personality of their coach. That's how Tony Vitello is. And they had that uh, for his first four seasons, even before last year's team. Well, a couple more housekeeping notes for Tennessee. We talked about the outfield and all of that good stuff in the lineup. Let's talk about the pitching for a second. Andrew Lindsay has been the Friday night starter for Tennessee for the last two weeks as Chase Burns has moved to a bullpen role. He has been excellent in that bullpen role. The best we've seen Chase Burns at all this year has been in the last two weeks, and Andrew Lindsay has definitely done a very, very good job as the Friday night starter. Chase Dolander even looks more comfortable in the day two role, and we know that Drew Beam is Mr. Consistent for the most part. So your thoughts on Tennessee's pitching at this moment, and I don't see anything changing with how Tony Vitello is using these four guys, meaning the three starters and Burns. I agree. To me, it's Burns is the more interesting one, and it's only in the sense of how aggressive do they get with him to try to use him twice a week. Because that's, mm. that's the thing when... Yeah, it's nice to have him twice a week, isn't it? Yeah, when you, when <laughs> you like, have hey, that... Hey, Vanderbilt's getting maybe a little too close for comfort, so shut him down in the ninth for us. Yeah, it's like when you have that guy that can go on Friday 
and throw two innings on Friday and turn around and close a tight game on Sunday, like that's when you start talking about these bullpen guys being just as valuable as a starter. That's yeah. the way Sean Hunley was for Tennessee a few years ago. Kevin Copps was in his incredible season at Arkansas. And, you know, obviously Chase Burns, Tony Vitello talked about it. He's the best-conditioned player on the team. He's been a starter for just basically his whole life. So you would think that his arm would be able to handle that. Uh, but, again, it's how aggressive do you want to be with it? Do you want to push the envelope? Because we know when postseason rolls around, they're going to be extremely aggressive using him out of the bullpen. And, he, and talk about just – Throwing in general, he pushed the envelope on Friday night. I mean, he, he was did. pumping triple digits. He was throwing a lot of high leverage pitches, uh, triple digits, and he threw what about thirty eight around right around forty. Uh, yeah, I think it was forty two. Forty two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I thought that was a really encouraging sign that he was able that they could come back and use him again uh, on Sunday. So, to me, that's the question: How does Burns' emergence in the bullpen affect everybody else? But with the weekend rotation, it's you know I think this is it. I think this is. What it should be, Lindsey has, the moment has not been too big for him in these big rivalry, Friday night, bright light, SEC. He's a pretty even kill guy. He doesn't seem to ever get too high, too low. He shows some emotion, but it's just not overboard by any means. He's very workmanlike, and we know what Chase Dolander can do. It feels like we're getting closer to seeing what he was last year in each of his last two weeks since he's been on Saturday. And then Drew Beamy, he's a Sunday pitcher. He's in a pitch to contact. He's in a... All but one appearance I can remember in two years, and it came two weeks ago in Arkansas. He's going to fill up the strike zone, and some days the outing's really good. Some days the outing is just okay, but the outing is rarely bad, and it rarely puts Tennessee in a hole on Sunday. That's a good point. You th- you think Chase Olander seemed more comfortable or at least better in on those Saturday rolls? I do, I, and I thought that was the case two weeks ago at Arkansas. Like mm-hmm. he just he was just from the the very first at bat batter he was down at Arkansas because he had that 12 pitch walk and he was really having to grind through the stuff so we didn't get wasn't able to get deeper in the game but I thought his stuff was really good and I thought he was really effective uh, in that game absolutely Tennessee's pitching looking on the up and up everything on Tennessee baseball is looking on the up and up now they are eight eight and ten in the SEC play moving forward four series left in the regular season the first one of those four being Mississippi State who comes to Knoxville this weekend Tennessee will round out at least their SEC six-game homestand this weekend in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. And, Ryan, this is a Mississippi State team that, for the first part of SEC play, had an incredibly high ERA, a wildly high team ERA, and looked just like an awful baseball team. But they have since done a little bit better. They took one um, against South Carolina a couple weeks ago. They won a series against Alabama. They won a series against Ole Miss. Those are two middle-of-the-pack or – lower tier SEC teams and then they just lost the series at Auburn um, but now they come to Tennessee what's your expectations for this weekend in this Mississippi State team yeah I think my expectations for Tennessee to win the series and again if you get a sweep that's that's awesome uh, but that, that's not my expectation and to me uh, I know they've moved around their starters and really only two guys have been in there consistently but it, it feels like Cade Smith has been the guy they've been using on Friday nights uh, a little bit more as recently and he's been Solid, you know, nothing special, but solid. And really the last few weeks, or I even just go back to last weekend uh, against Auburn where it's like first game low scoring and the next two games absolute track shoots. They win 11-10 on Saturday and they get walked off 12-11 on the Sunday game against Auburn. So I expect a lot of offense. I know the weather doesn't look great uh, this weekend, cool with some rain, uh, but still I think it'll be high scoring. I think this is – when you talk about Tennessee's offense kind of continuing to find its identity and find its groove, I think this is a great opportunity because it's not a very good Mississippi State pitching staff. But it, it is a good lineup. It's going to be a lineup that's certainly not going to be easy. Tennessee's pitchers are going to have their work cut out for them. But 
I have a lot of confidence in Tennessee's pitching if their defense will play well behind them. And you're right, the ERA has gone down in conference play for Mississippi State. Yeah, I mean it was, it was really high at the beginning, but it's still nine nine three four. <laughs> it's still the, their it's ERA still in conference play, which is still very very high. It's just not like eighteen after what it was like six games in the SEC play. And we'll get to see an ambidextrous pitcher. That's right. Was uh, how do you say his last name? So uh, let me try. Her- Herangelo. Um, Sigente? I'm going to say it's Sigente. Sigente. I figured the J would have the H in Herangelo Sigente is how I would say it. Um, So, yeah, that will be a new thing. It will be. And he is – his numbers aren't great in SEC play, but he's been the best at getting deep into games for them. He's been able to, for the most part, eat – you know, give up some runs, but eat some outs and get in the middle of games, uh, middle inning of games, and not completely wear out the Mississippi State bullpen. You expect a Tennessee series win. Do you think, ten- like, I feel like Tennessee, I feel like most fans are going to expect a Tennessee sweep. Why do you, do? You, what would your prediction be, I guess, at this point? My, my prediction would be for them to win two out of three. Why not sweep? Because sweeping teams is hard in the SEC. They just swept Vandy. They did just sweep Vandy. And it's a funny thing to say because so many of their series in SEC play have been sweeps one way or the other, I guess, four out of six. Tennessee has 12 series sweeps in the Tony Vitello era. That's the same amount they had 15 years in the 15 years before Tony Vitello came. Is that that's just is that SEC? I'm assuming just SEC play? I'm assuming yes. they have a lot more if you count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's doable, but it's just – Unless one team is play, is unbelievably good and they're playing a not very good team or one team's playing really, really good and they're playing a bad team, my notion for the most part is just going to be two out of three. Okay. Maybe I'm old school and conservative looking at it. They're definitely, definitely have, conservative. There definitely have been more sweeps in SEC play uh, this season than most, but it's a, it's a good Mississippi State lineup. They're playing better. Again, they're not great, um, but Tennessee – is gonna would have to show me a little bit more than just one weekend of really good plays for me to pick a sweep. Last thing here, you said sweeping Vanderbilt allowed themselves some leeway, and they may need it with Georgia playing a lot better. Yeah. They just swept Arkansas, and I, I believe it was in Athens. It wasn't like a road sweep or anything, but they swept Arkansas, who just swept Tennessee. So when you look at Tennessee's schedule, they have this Mississippi State series, they go to Athens, then they get Kentucky at home, and then they finish the season in Columbia against South Carolina, who look like one of the best teams in the nation, having just swept Florida. So... 14 is the number. They need six more. Two against Mississippi State. That gives them to 10. They need two more or four more in those remaining three series. That would mean, like, I feel like you have to win the series in Athens because I don't know if you can bank on a win late in the season in Columbia. Yeah, I mean, that's a hard one. I think you're, again, this is me being you know conservative with my sweeps, is I, I expect Tennessee to win a game in Columbia, and they may not do it. It's not going to be easy by any means. Um, but you're right, that win. What If you have 13 SEC wins going in the last weekend of the season, though, it's getting a little dicey. Oh, it is. You definitely want to be at 14 yeah. before that. And you're right, they probably have to either sweep somebody or win that Georgia series to do that. But that's a lot better than... If they hadn't swept Vanderbilt, it's like, all right, you better you better win that Georgia series, and you better sweep somebody if you want to have that feeling of comfort going into South Carolina. Yeah, my thing is, is if they don't sweep Mississippi State, they must beat either Kentucky or Georgia. Yeah, yeah, my like, they they got to they have to win every home series out. Is the way I've been viewing it since going into last. And weekend. I mean, they certainly can. They just swept Vanderbilt. They can sweep Kentucky. And Kentucky's yeah. starting to struggle a little bit. Yeah, they're, they're they're dropping off from where they were playing early. In as SEC Georgia play. is increasing, Kentucky is declining. Yeah, exactly. So.
I still think that's you know a worrisome matchup in the sense that Kentucky is a small ball team and they're going to make you make plays defensively. So Tennessee better be ready. If they if we see the defense we've seen for a lot of the year, they'll have a hard time with Kentucky. But I do think if with their pitching, if Tennessee comes in and plays clean defense against a team that's going to put a lot of balls in play. They're more talented than Kentucky, and they're playing better than Kentucky. Well, we talked about Tennessee baseball being a team that's back, as in can make do a lot of damage in the NCAA tournament and is an Omaha contender. But we have not seen Tennessee baseball be back, of course, on the road yet, which they are one and nine in SEC play, or one and eight in SEC play. One and nine with the uh, game, uh, Grand Canyon game was a tr- oh, it was in yeah. a tournament, but it was no, a, no, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. one and nine on the road, of course, and one and eight in SEC play. But yeah, so. You don't want to bank on maybe them being back on the road, per se, you know, just because they've struggled so much there. So, I don't know. I just don't know how much confidence – like, I guess my question is, do you think they'll end up being better on the road, too, moving forward, given what they showed you against Vanderbilt? I think so. I think they'll be better, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're just going to come in and be the same team that they are at home. I mean, yeah. they've been so bad on the I just, road. I just it's... think the home series helped them so much against Vanderbilt. Yeah. And Lindsey Nelson it Stadium did. being packed, Especially too. on Friday. Yeah. And Friday and Saturday, I felt like they really, really fed off the energy from the fans. So, Absolutely. you're right. I th- I think it's one of those things where you feel a lot better that this is this is the perfect time for Tennessee and their schedule to have the two straight road – or the two straight home series, I think. Yeah. And then it's collect as many wins as you can and then – See if you can go duplicate it on the road. And Georgia is, you know, South Carolina is going to be an extremely difficult test in a rowdy environment and a really good team. And Georgia, you know, will be a good environment, I'm sure, too, and they're playing better. But that's a lot more gettable. And, again, I, I said this a lot of times this year, and it's kind of coach-speaky of me, uh, so a little, a little embarrassed by it. But it's just like, especially with some of the stuff on the road and against the best competition, Wins are obviously very, very important and very, very important at this point in the season when Tennessee tries to rake them up, but they don't tell the whole story. Like, if you're competitive and you play well and you lose, that's just baseball. It happens sometimes. Mm. But there have been so many away games this year where Tennessee has just been lifeless and they've beaten themselves early in the games. Yeah, That's what has to change, and yeah. that's what I do expect to be different in Georgia. Does that mean they win the series? I don't know, but I think you see a different energy and a different crispness uh, that Tennessee will have. Good point there, Ryan. And this weekend series against Mississippi State is a Thursday through Saturday. We're back to that again. So you are I'm telling you right now, next week when we podcast, I will refer to Thursday night's game as Friday night's game yeah. and Saturday's game to Sunday's game. You just gotta be ready for it, but that's how it's gonna be. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, another Thursday through Saturday series. First pitch on Thursday, seven Eastern. Sa- Friday is six thirty Eastern, and then Saturday, two PM Eastern. Man, I really wish that on draft weekend, it wouldn't have been a Thursday through Saturday series. That really hurts me, but it's okay. I'll live with it. It was – that's how it was two years ago. They played Kentucky that weekend uh, on a Thursday, back before they had many Thursdays. Because now Tennessee is such a, a media darling that they get – because the Thursday is, you know, it's just you're on Thursday if TV wants you. There's two exactly. SEC, SEC games SEC on Network. Thursday uh, every week, and they're both on TV. And before, you know, Tennessee didn't really ever play on Thursday because they weren't a huge draw. So that was kind of rare, but yeah, this season we better start getting used to it. Four or six SEC series this year, Thursday through Saturday. Yeah, the Thursday and Saturday game are televised for Tennessee SEC Network on Thursday, ESPNU on Saturday. Ryan, that's all I got for this um, for today's pod. Um, anything else you want to add? No, I mean I guess the one good thing on the draft is that if the Titans draft Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, people will get to see me have a meltdown in the press box. So for media people, there's a little bit of a benefit to it that way. I, I'm hearing the C.J. Stroud buzz is starting to increase a little bit for the Titans. I, I because swear, because he failed the cognitive test or whatever. Yeah. And he's 
plummeting or whatever down draft boards. Houston's not going to take him anymore. Maybe he's there at 11. Maybe, Maybe they trade up a couple spots I, and take him. I would love to trade up and take him. He's the one guy really? I'd like him to trade up and take. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's funny that you say that. I swear every single time I log on to the internet, it's like a new quarterback. It's like there's a lot of buzz with the Titans. It went from Anthony, Anthony Richardson to Will Levis to C.J. Stroud, and I've even seen a little bit of Hendon Hooker oh, yeah. in recent days. Yeah. So uh, it's – <laughs> we'll see. And I don't have. Tra- a, I don't know what's going to happen. And if you throw in the trade buzz with trade La- Trey Lance, yeah, which sh- his name it feels like be, it's died down a little. His name bit. should just be Trade Lance right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a dad joke. But anyway, yeah, it's going to be a fun night on Thursday. And oh, by the way, last thing: Will Levis's uh, odds to get drafted first overall. Did you see those increase? Today? I didn't see them go cr- just because crazy. of a Reddit thing. Yeah, I didn't hear so, the Reddit okay, part of it, but I saw random, the Some random so, – okay, everybody, we're done talking baseball. If you want to quit listening, go for it. But I got to tell this Will Levis thing real quick. It's a, very, very funny. A random Reddit user said, Will Levis is telling his family he's going to get taken first overall by the Carolina Panthers. And the Vegas odds went from plus 4,000 for him to get drafted first overall to just plus 400 now. He is far and, <laughs> far and away the second highest favorite to get drafted first overall by the Panthers. That's crazy. And it's got to be because of that Reddit thing. There's yeah. no other reason. That is absolutely wild. It wouldn't surprise me though. That that is what what has changed it. Yeah, it's Charlotte the, would burn if they took Will Levis. At least I would think so, because man, Bryce Young staring you in the face. He does seem like a Frank Wright guy though, doesn't he? But Frank Wright's not dumb. I actually always thought Frank Wright was a pretty good coach. I did not. Okay, agree to disagree. I, I mean, I'm I'm also a Titans. I'm also a Titans fan. And yeah, Mo, you got her. So I, I have some bias. I don't Dude, think he's a bad coach. He got so screwed over with quarterback play his whole time. He did, and here's why I didn't think Frank Reich was a good coach: is that I watched. I guess it would have been two years ago. I watched him play the Titans twice, and if they would have given the ball to Jonathan Taylor twenty times, they would have won the games. And they were they were running at six yards of carry, and they refused to give Jonathan Taylor the ball, and got pass happy with Carson Wentz. And I'm certainly happy about it. The Titans won those two games because they did it. They would not have won those two games otherwise if Frank Reich wouldn't have gotten so pass happy. Well, Tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence's biggest win of his rookie season was that Week 18 win against that's the Colts right. when they didn't run Jonathan Taylor. So maybe you're a little on to something. Maybe not as good as I'm saying, but good. that's probably. I think he's a good coach. He just misused the personnel they had a little. He put too much trust in those bad quarterbacks you're talking about. He got a raw deal with. Maybe so. I'm just excited to see what he does with the rookie. Yeah, it, it will be chance. interesting in a new spot in Carolina in a division that's wide open for anyone to take. Exactly. Um, it'll be interesting to see what those three AFC South teams do in the Colts, Titans, and Texans on Thursday night. That'll do it for this episode of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition. You can follow Rocky Top Insider on all your social platforms at Rocky Top Insider. You can give Ryan a follow at rshump00. He's got all your baseball coverage throughout the weekend. I do as well at Jack Foster Media as well as our live update threads. Please continue to keep up with those, um, especially when the games aren't on television and maybe you don't have ESPN+. It's every single at-bat, how everything went down throughout the game, as well as a tiny little preview at the top. So a very, very in-depth chronicle of Tennessee baseball games is our live updates for every single game. And Bellarmine game is tonight at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, so Tennessee will have their midweeker tonight. All right, Ryan, I guess I'll see you later, man. Sounds great.